It is great to be with you all. All right, I just got to do this. It's been a while since I've made this happen, so I got to do this again. Who is glad to be in the house of the Lord? Let me hear you. Come on, put your hands together. I want you to hear that, everybody. Again, come on, keep it coming. We are in the house of the Lord together today, and it is an incredible honor. We want you to know that you are loved. If you are watching online, which many of you, most of you are, you need to know that you are loved. We care deeply about you. And listen, if you are a person that is at risk, we want you to stay home. We want you to be safe. We want you to walk in wisdom. But what we also want for you is we want to bring the glorious hope of Jesus Christ right into your living room as you're driving down the road into your car. We want the hope of Jesus Christ there, wherever you're at, with your small group we can't wait to proclaim his hope and love we are in a series that we've been calling but God and this whole series is about how God intervenes in really powerful ways in moments in history God steps in when it feels like all is lost and he loves to show off his love in fact the way we said this over and over again is God loves to show off his love he loves to show off his love in significant big ways. There is nothing more glorious and hopeful for humanity than the hope and love of Jesus Christ being displayed and made clear. We love that. Week number one of this series, we talked about waiting well. What does it look like to wait well? Well, you're waiting for God to move. How do you wait well? Week number two, we talked about the importance of your private life, how God often works us out in private in ways that he can prepare us for public battles, right? So your private life matters. Week number three, we talked about uh, what if it feels like God isn't working? Week number four, what if it feels like you've already lost? Week number five, what if you are the one who caused the pain? What if you're the one who caused the pain for individuals? You were the one that was in sin. You acted wrongly and it hurt others. Week number six, Andy, man, Andy brought an incredible sermon uh, talking about Mary's song, just the work and love and gratitude of Jesus Christ and how he loves to work in even the least of these. And then even last week, it was uh, how God loves to get a hold of our stories. And we talked a little bit about how God, he takes our stories and we can't see him working or what he's up to. And then we have these beautiful moments where he flips it upside down and displays all the wonderful things that he's been up to. And uh, I want to spend time this week talking about the gathering and the scattering of God's believers because sometimes the hardship that we're in is not God stopping us, it's him aiming us. It's not God inhibiting you so much as like shutting you down or turning you off, it's aiming you. It's giving you incredible mission and purpose and I want to talk about that today a little bit more. Back when I was in high school, I I grew up high school age. Um, I was in Oklahoma, many of you know this. And uh, I grew up kind of a pseudo country boy. I mean, the home that I had, we had, you know, probably a couple hundred acres out behind our house. I grew up riding motorcycles, hunting and fishing. Uh, I was a, a good country boy in a lot of those ways. And I made a pact with a lot of the guys. You could do this in Oklahoma, it'd be harder to do with the weather in Indiana. But I made a pact with my friends in high school that we would go camping at least once a month all the way through high school. And now camping was a little bit different back then. I didn't have a cell phone. Um, There weren't nearly as many people. Country is different than country in Indiana. Country in Texas and country in Oklahoma is different than the country in Indiana. You can get into places in Oklahoma and you can get into places in Texas where there's literally nothing man-made as far as you can see. I've talked about this before. Like I could literally grab like a 30 6 like a hunting rifle, fire in any direction in the middle of the country and hit nothing man-made. 
unless you've driven through that area, you don't understand what country really means. Well, we loved to go camping in the country. Literally to hop in our pickup trucks and to just drive out into the middle of nowhere. And in this pact of going camping, um, I remember one night, I was probably 17 years old at the time. There was about seven or eight of us guys. Uh, it was after kind of Friday night, Friday night lights. So after the football game, we all load up in the truck, stop at our local Walmart, buy a bunch of meat. That's all you need as a high school guy. Don't need any other food, right? Just meat and a water bottle. We were good to go. And so drove all the way out, drive and drive out in the middle of nowhere. There was this lake uh, that we knew about. We'd been out there numerous times. And uh, it's fairly unpopulated, great place to be, drive all the way out there. We set up our campsite. We're just loving life. Now, I would also camp often with no tent, no nothing. I mean, I would many times go not even with a sleeping bag. I literally would just go out and hang out with my friends until it got late, big bonfire going, and then fall asleep in the back of my pickup truck. So we're out there, we're talking, we're having a good time and our regular camping routine. And as we're hanging out out there, um, one of my buddies grabbed the lighter fluid and this is such a stupid, stupid idea. Uh, we were 16-year-old teenagers, right? So he took the lighter fluid, and he actually wrote his name really big on the ground, right? So wrote it on the ground. And my friend's name was Mike that did this. Um, it was me. So uh, wrote it really big all over the ground, and then he, he lit it on fire, and you got to watch in huge letters, Mike, light up across. I know we have a number of firefighters in our church. I'm sorry in advance. I was a stupid teenager, I'm still stupid, but the teenager years was extra stupid. But I uh, wrote out my name, and so it's literally a blaze. Like, you can see the name Mike across the ground. And so the other guys thought that was cool, so they start writing their name out on the ground, and it's on fire, just a blaze going crazy. We're having a great time with it. And then, of course, because we're 16-year-olds and we're dumb, listen, we have any students in here? I just need you to know, you think you're smart? You're going to spend the whole rest of your life realizing how dumb you currently are. That's how it works, just so you know that. And so we're out there, we're writing, we're having a good time out on the ground, and one of my buddies, this wasn't me that did this one, lights the, the name up before the other guy had finished writing it. So the fire's like chasing the bottle, and as it's chasing the bottle, it starts making its way up. I didn't even know it could do that. It was pretty cool, actually. And then it lights the end on fire, and he turns around, and he squeezes it. So it's like fire going up in the air, and he's like, yeah, this is so great, right? And then eventually, the plastic starts to melt, and he freaks out, and he throws it. The thing hits the ground, bursts open, fire is absolutely everywhere. Uh, we decided it might be wise now to think about, instead of starting fires, putting them out. Uh, so we run over there, and I got, got my shirt off, and we're trying to, like, you know, knock it out with it. That didn't work. It just made it bigger and bigger, and so we're trying to stomp it out. I mean, we're just fighting this thing like crazy. Luckily, it was wet enough outside that it didn't go too far, but I learned this. Every time you step on one of these fires, right, what happens? Just goes bigger. Right? Like, I'm trying to put it out, but all it does is grow. Now, I've had this event happen multiple times in my life. This is the one that probably stood out the most because I was literally terrified. And as we stepped on it, it just grew and grew and grew. Now, the interesting thing about the story of God's people is all through our history, people have been trying to put us out since the beginning. 
I mean, the whole story of God's people, even Jewish, like so Judeo-Christian, all the way up into the time of Christ, and then the Christian narrative beginning from there, all the way through, even prior to that, trying to put out God's people. And I want us to go back in time, man, if we could, I'd love it, I wish we could hop in the time machine, go all the way back, and we're going to talk about one of those moments in history where there was a significant effort put in place to stop out Christianity, to stop the story. I want to say this really clear before we uh, go to this part of the text. History is full. History is full of people trying to stomp out the church. What happens? It just grows. The power of the church isn't, man, this is so important. The power of the church isn't in the number gathered in one room, right? Like, I currently today am preaching to the smallest congregation I maybe ever had. Even when I was a youth pastor, my student department was way bigger than what we have in this room right now. The power of the church isn't in the number gathered in one room at one time. The power of the church, where is it? But the Holy Spirit, this is where it is. It's the Holy Spirit-infused fire in each of us. It's in our hearts. That's the power, right? So like what I need, I mean, more than a 1,000 people attending our church or watching stuff online, more than campuses, all more than any of that, what I want more than anything else is a group of people whose hearts are on fire for the gospel like they can't help it they cannot help but want to be in the presence of God they are passionate they are hungry in their bones they long for more than what this broken world has to offer deep inside them they cannot help but embrace and chase after the love of God and want to share it with others man people who have the gospel in their hearts that is the unstoppable force The question that we must ask, the question even that I ask before we talk about the gathering and the scattering is really this, how hungry are you? You know, I, uh, one of my, one of my, greatest fears, I really mean this, is that I would grow old. But I don't mean old physically. That's not what bothers me. I don't mind getting gray hair. I don't mind um, watching my kids get old. I don't mind that. My fear is that I would grow old in my spirit and heart. I mean, like, deep down, I just, I, I think I've been going through the Chronicles of Narnia books again because I, I love them. And so in this season, just in downtime, while I'm running around or working on projects or working on the yard, I've just been audiobooks. Um, I've just been turning on the audiobooks, listening to these. And I just am in my spirit, this reigniting of, of a... Um, of a hopeful anticipation and a desire for something better and more and real, a truer world, right? They would call it Aslan's country, heaven, right? Like this, this thing inside me I wanted to rise up, and my fear is that my spirit would grow old and weary, that I would lose the spiritual excitement in me, and I don't want that to happen. And man, the question that I pose even to you as we get into this is, how spiritually hungry are you? You can be 100 years old and have a passion for God, man, like a brand new Christian. It is possible. 
And man, what I desire for you and what I desire for me is that that part of our spirit, that spiritual alive, the heart in us, man, that it would be so spiritually hungry and vibrant and alive. How spiritually hungry are we? Back in time. So we show up in history. This is the inception of the church, the launch of the church age. It's a really unique time in history. Rome has pretty much conquered the world. Their conquest, they have created peace, not because people like Rome, but because Rome is so vicious and harsh and cruel. I mean, when you walk down the road and you see the latest thief burning alive on a pole, it makes you more likely to not want to steal. That's how Rome created peace. So it's this... uh, draconian kind of place, this peace that's kind of false in a way. There's deep, like in their hearts, there's this deep distrust and fear and anger, yet the place is quiet and still. This is the place in which the church launched, the start of the church age. Jesus dies, he goes to heaven, he comes back, he starts the movement, right? And then all of a sudden, Christianity starts to really build and grow. And at the beginning of Acts, you see the beginning of what would be like mega churches, like gathering together. Thousands and thousands are coming together. People are giving their hearts to the Lord in mass. And then at this text that we're about to read is where the persecution hits. I mean, it's such a short period of time, the whole narrative changes from like everybody's excited, thousands gathering together, the church is growing like mad, and in one moment, the whole thing comes to a collapse, and this is how it happens. There's a young man by the name of Stephen, passionate follower of Jesus, guy's on fire. There is a leader, Pharisee leader of the church, who worked tightly with Rome and Roman power by the name of Saul. Saul comes along and he's so tired of these Christians and the story. And it's a super complicated historical thing. I won't get into all of it, but Saul is ready for this Christian story to come to an end. And he decides, he's like, this is it. This is the end. I'm going to shut these people up. It's over. They ultimately end up dragging Stephen out and he is publicly executed. And as he is dying, with Saul kind of overseeing this, as he is dying, they're stoning him. He just goes into this, man, I'm sure you've read through it in the Bible, right? He goes into Stephen's speech, this powerful speech where he just like proclaims the love and hope of Jesus Christ all the way through to the very end. I mean, it's the stones are coming down on him, crushing him, bashing him, and all the way down. His last words are proclaiming the love of Jesus Christ, and his life comes to an end. Stomped on the fire. But that ember of hope, man, The church was not started by men, it was started by God. And what God institutes, only God can stop. And as that foot came down heavy on him, one of those little embers even flies out and ultimately lands in Saul. And little does he know it, but the very man who is working vehemently to bring it into this Christian story is going to be one of the primary, most prominent writers of the New Testament. Because you can't stop what God started. You can't stop what God started in you. I know some of you right now with your own children, you're wrestling with kids that are in seasons of rebellion. I know right now for you, you're wrestling with even doubts yourself or fears. Listen, I'm telling you, nothing can stop what God started. 
The story isn't done. This may be a hard moment. It may be a difficult season. It may be some time of doubt where you're sitting in this hard place right now. I'm telling you, what God starts, no man can stop. With this in mind, I do want to read a specific portion of the text. This is Acts 8, 1 through 4. It's actually Acts 8, 1, the second part of 1, 1b through 4. It says this. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea, Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him, but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now, the verse 4, though it's in a different section of the Bible, I think it should be kept in the previous section. Verse 4 says this, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. A couple things I want to point out from this, just two things real quick. Number one, God allowed, God allowed the church to go through two important events, really important events in their history. And we might be in this today. I don't know, but we might be. It looks like we might be in something similar today. The gathering and the scattering. Acts 1 and 2, right? So Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2 has Christians gathering in massive, mega church, mega ministry, mega settings, in mass, thousands worshiping together. People coming to the, know the Lord in mass. I mean, it's an amazing time in history. Thousands worshiped together, and it was absolutely awesome. But there's more. Yet, after a season of gathering, God allowed, God allowed, God allowed. God did what? He allowed a season of scattering, a time when the Holy Spirit-infused followers were pushed out of the nest to create ministry where they usually do life. God allowed the gathering, and God allowed the scattering. I want to say this too really clear. The gathering is just as important as the scattering. The scattering is not a time to run and hide, but to go and tell. If God was to send you home with the gospel, where would he send you? Where would he send you? Um... I'm going to invite Josh and Taylor to come up, and I'm going to start pulling some of these ideas all together. We have a plague, and I know this has become so propaganda, politically grabbed hold of, that has affected our world in many different ways. We have economic Difficulty, collapse that is, man, have an incredible impact. We are watching racial riots, literally riots. I laid in bed last night and I thought, Lord, they didn't talk about this in grad school. Like, how do you pastor with riots in your community and buildings being burned and plagues covering the earth and famine, like they didn't, they didn't, listen, I love grad school, Wesley Seminary, great school, go to it. If you feel called to ministry, I'm totally down with it. They didn't cover this in class.
I don't know, honestly, I don't know what season we're in. I don't, I don't know, I don't know if this is the end times. I don't know, right? Everybody talks about that. Every generation has. But I do wake up and turn on the news and try to figure out which chapter of Revelation we're in today. I don't know. Every generation said that, right? I get it, I get it. But I do know that there is this pressure, and I think the enemy is behind this in some way. Whatever you want to pin it on, there is this pressure to push you out, to cease the gathering, to get you alone. Let me tell you where the enemy works the most. He wants you alone and tired. You know where the whole world is right now? Alone and tired. So much so that when something kicks in gear racially, everything just starts to collapse. You are called to be the love and light of Jesus Christ. Right now. To be the prayer and the hope and the encouragement to your spouse, to your children, to your neighbors. Right now. When the enemy works to scatter you, to put you out, those embers of hope, of of passionate spiritual engagement, that that thing inside of you that's hard to even quantify, the move of the spirit that's alive in you, that is sent out in the stomping, right? As you are silenced, you are igniting is what's happening. You are scattering the gospel. You are called right now to take the hope and love of Jesus Christ into your spheres of influence. You know this. In fact, man, I think about this, right? Like, who lives in your neighborhood? Who works with you? Who do you have social connection with? Who's in your family, right? In fact, the question I want to ask is, what does this mean for us? I'm going quick through this. I apologize in the back. What does this mean for us? I'm going to say what I said at the beginning. History is full of people trying to stomp out the church. What happens? It just grows because people like you that are on fire, you take the hope that you received in the gathering to the scattered places where you land, in your own home, in your own neighborhood, in your own workplace, wherever it might be, you take that hope there. You can't stop what God started. You can't. It just grows. The power of the church isn't in the number gathered in one room, but the Holy Spirit infused fire in each of their hearts, in each of your hearts. Where is Jesus in this? Okay, here it is. Number one, he is sending you out. Here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. He's sending you out. Okay, I want to stop at that first sentence for just a moment. Some of you right now, you've been sitting on, should I start a blog telling my story about the love of Jesus Christ? I'm going to prophetically say, do it. 
Some of you right now are going, man, I don't know if I'm courageous enough to share my favorite verse on social media. I'm here to tell you, do it. Some of you right now, you're creative, man. Maybe God has gifted you in artistic ways with photography. Listen, I'm telling you right now, do it. You take pictures of God's beauty. You share it on social media. You attach scripture to it. Man, you proclaim the beauty and love and hope of Jesus Christ. Some of you right now are sitting on a ministry idea or a thought, something that has been, man, baking inside of you for a while. I am here as your pastor to call it out of you. To start to do it. Actually make it happen. We need believers who stand up and go, here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. Send me to be the love and light in my home. Some of you have been sitting on the edge of, should I do devotions with my kids at a dinner table? Do it. Some of you have been sitting on the line of, should I call my aunt, uncle, friend, neighbor, cousin that I know I need to have a Do it. He is sending you out. It's always been about sending. Jesus, I want you to think this through. This is so incredibly important. Jesus wrote no books. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that completes the Gospels and comes back to the history. Jesus didn't write any of those. Jesus wrote no books. He delegated the baptism and quickly handed off the teaching. Christ, from the very beginning, was modeling multiplication. This is in you. It is in you to do great things for the kingdom. It is in you. It is in you to change the lives of the people that you do life with. It is in you. It is in you to proclaim the hope and love of Jesus Christ with your children. It is in you. It is in you to do these things. It is in you to start that blog, share your story, share your favorite scripture verse. It is in you to be that love and light to the people that you do life with. It is in you. And the enemy is going to do everything that he can to try to cast doubt in your hearts, doubt in your minds. You can't. You're not able. You're not strong enough. You're not smart enough. In the name of Jesus, I rebuke that. It's no accident that God chose stinky, uneducated fishermen to be the agents of change for the world as his disciples. You can do this. There's one other thing I want to say to you before I'm done with this message today. In Christ's sending, He goes with you. He goes with you. You are not alone. He goes with you. When you share that hope, you don't do that on human power. You do that on his power. When you pray that prayer with your neighbor, you don't do that on human power. You do it on his power. When you share your story, you don't do that on human power. You do that on his power. He goes with you. The enemy is going to work to stomp this out. Every ember that is a heart on fire for the kingdom will set ablaze more for the gospel. 
here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. Here I am.